All right. It's great to be here today, and it's great to be speaking with you again. And cool to see new faces, familiar faces. Um, and some of my Haitian friends here as well. Good to see all of you. I want to start off with a story. Some of you guys know that I do parkour. And for those of you who don't know what parkour is, parkour is the art of getting from one place to the next in the most efficient way possible. Sometimes that involves swinging over railings, running up walls, jumping off buildings, and things like that. So I like doing that like, for fun on my free time. And so I want to share a story about the scariest thing that I've done in parkour um, ever. And this was the first time that I jumped off a building, from one building to the next. And so this is a true story. And I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna put a disclaimer. It's not, it wasn't like a skyscraper, like, like <laughs> several hundred feet high, but it was high enough that like, if I didn't make it, like I was, like I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be here today. But so I was, I was on this roof and it was me, my friend and my brother was there to film it. And so we're like, all right, we're gonna do this. And my friend goes and he was just like, like all in, like no, no like not thinking about it. He ran across, jumped over, and then like landed on the other roof and like rolled. And he did his, all right, come on, now it's your turn. So I'm there, all right, we got this. And I'm, gonna, I'm getting to the edge and I realize, ah, this is, whoo, like this is, this is intense. Like it's, it's not like, like the YouTube videos, like this is, this is pretty crazy. And so I'm like, I'm like I need to psych myself up. And, and like this is, it was like a baby apartment building. And so like the tenant, one of the tenants came out like, what are you doing up there? Like, no, it's okay, like we're, we're like filming, so it's going to be okay. And, and so I'm like psyching myself up. Like hours go by, like the sun is setting. And I'm like, dang, I still haven't done this. Like I need to do it. And so finally, I, like the plan is to run, get to the edge, jump, and then land on the other roof and roll to cushion the fall. And so I run, and I'm finally going to do it. And I get to the edge, and I jump. And you'll find out what happens later. <laughs> so... Before we, we, we get back to that story, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 with Jesus today. And last week, Pastor Justin kind of started us off, and he showed us that Jairus, this man named Jairus, came to Jesus to ask him to heal his daughter, who was sick and she was about to die. So Jesus was like, all right, bet, let's go. I'm going to heal her. But on the way there, this woman with the issue of blood came and she got healed and then Jesus stopped and like talked with her and, and like asked her what was going on. And, and then while they were still talking, this is what happens in the scene. It says in verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, from Jairus' house, some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And so just right here, like I would be pretty ticked if I was Jairus. Be like, Jesus, I came to you. I let you know, like, this is serious. She's dying. Please, you need to come ASAP. And now you stopped, and you're listening to this woman give a testimony. So, like, it's great that you got healed. That's awesome. But we need to go. And now my daughter's dead. Like, I'd be pretty ticked. How, wh- how often have you asked Jesus for something, and he took too long? And now it's too late. Like, you came to him, and you asked him for help, and he didn't help. And this is what Jairus feels like. Like, I came to you so that you could heal and you didn't. And now the situation's gotten worse. So Jesus looks at him. He says, do not fear, only believe. Now, if I was Jairus, I'd be even more upset now because, like, I'm in this situation because I believed you in the first place. Like, last time I believed you, my daughter died. Like, what, what, what's going to happen now? Like, my mother's going to die. Like, what's, what's going on? Like, have you ever been in a situation where you come to Jesus for help and instead of getting help, it gets worse. 
And sometimes being in a relationship with God feels like that, where you trust what you ask for. And to you, I'm asking you for this, and you're praying, and you don't get what you ask for. And then God asks you to trust him again. And you're like, ah, hmm. I trusted you before, and this is what happened. What do you do? You're at a crossroads. On the one hand, you can be like, you know what? I tried it. You know, I prayed. I fasted. It didn't work. I'm going to move on to something else. Or you can try again and trust again. And this is what Jesus asked Jairus to do. He asked him, keep believing. Trust me. So Jairus follows him, and the verses go on to say, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, and he starts spitting bars, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And so, right, bars. And so I thought it was funny that here people are crying in this, in this scene, and then really quickly they switch and they start laughing at Jesus. Like, have you ever been to a funeral where people are crying, and then they just turn and start laughing at you? Like, that seems weird. And the reason for that was because at that time, when someone died, it was custom to, like, pay professional mourners to come and cry for your loved one. And so these people were, like, people who actually, like, would make a living off of their tears, and they would cry for people. So they probably didn't even know this girl. They probably had no emotional investment. They were just there because they were paid to be there. And so that's how they could go from crying to laughing. And Jesus tells them, all right, I need all of you to leave. Like, we're not having any of this. And he kicks them out. Because sometimes in life, when you need to move forward or you need to move towards a breakthrough, you have to cut off fake people. There are some people who act like they're supporting you, but they're really not. They act like they care, but they really don't. And in order to move forward, you've got to cut off some of that dead weight. And this is what Jesus is doing. Is like these people are not conducive to the environment. Like, I need you to leave just Peter, James, and John and the parents. And so he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with this amazement. Jesus raises this girl from the dead. And everyone, rightfully so, is amazed. And so here, Jairus, you can imagine, like, he's probably like, well, I'm pretty glad I didn't give up, like, a few hours ago. And now he, he got to see his daughter raised from the dead. And oftentimes, it will seem like God has disappointed us when we first ask him for help. And we'll have a choice. Are we going to give up and turn our backs on him, or are we going to keep trusting him? And if we give up too early, we may end up missing the blessing that God has for us. And thankfully, Jairus didn't give up, and he kept trusting God, and he was able to see his daughter come back to life. And then after that, Jesus does what I think is probably the craziest part next to raising the girl from the dead of the passage. He goes and he says, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. He brings this girl back from the dead and then tells him, don't tell anybody. Can you imagine that? Like, your daughter just died. Everyone saw her die. 
And now you're, you're supposed to like pretend like it didn't happen. Like, I mean, the next day, like you're hanging out with friends and then a daughter comes in, hey dad, can I play with my friends? And they're like, wait, didn't she die? And you're like, wow, that's crazy, right? That's crazy. Hey, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like, so, and then he just moves on. Like, there's no explanation. But in addition to that, one of the things that I've always found fascinating about this passage is not just that Jesus raises the girl from the dead, but what he says to her when she's dead. In verse 41, it says, um, he says this phrase, Talitha kumi, and it's an Aramaic phrase. And so Jesus, during that time, Jesus and everybody around him was speaking Aramaic. Like, it was a common language. That's what they spoke in that time. And, like, even when he was nailed to the cross and they nailed the sign, King of the Jews, they, they wrote it in Latin, Greek, and Aramaic because everybody spoke Aramaic. So technically, everything Jesus said was in Aramaic, but the New Testament was written in Greek, so they translated it to Greek. But it's always fascinating me that why did Mark leave this particular phrase in Aramaic, like every, everything else you said was in, was regular. Like, and there are other few times where he does that, like he specifically keeps certain phrases in Aramaic. And I've wondered like, what is that? Like, what, what's with that? And part of the reason is because in language, certain things get lost in translation. How many of you speak another language besides English? Wow, that's amazing. So on three, I want you to, it's on three, I want you to shout out what other language you speak. One, two, three. Korea, awesome, like diversity at its finest. So if you speak other languages, you know that some things get lost in translation. And so I wanna do a little exercise with you. I, what I, another language I speak is Creole. And so I found this meme online and I wanna show this to you. Uh, wait, wait, no, 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 go back. Oh, it's the wrong one, dang it. It's like, it like ruined the thing, so switch to the next one. Twice, go twice, twice. All right, there, 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 okay, here we go. So I'm gonna read this. This says, Ou gen problème sport, comme fait mal pour boss. Monde ti boule ça, c'est moi même qui boss. If you speak Creole, that was probably mildly funny. Maybe it didn't make sense. If you don't, if you don't speak Creole, that wasn't funny to you at all. But look what happens when we put it back in the original language. If you're having Quidditch problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a snitch ain't one. See, it's a lot funnier in English. See, if you, but you have to know English. You have to know about Harry Potter. You have to know about Jay-Z. And this is only possible, though, in the original language. And so Mark is doing the same kind of thing, where he knows that there are some things in this Aramaic phrase that will get lost in translation, but the people who know Aramaic will catch it. And so he leaves it there so that they'll be able to, like, catch what's there. So the question then is, what is that subtle thing that Mark wants them to catch. And so I've read up a little bit about like this phrase and found some cool things. Some things were like really weird, like that's really off. Like that's probably definitely not what he's talking about. But there overall, like one of the things that that I've found was that this phrase, you can go back so that we don't get distracted by Harry. One of the th- reasons why Mark left it there is because this phrase, there's like a tenderness to it in Aramaic, where like it's almost like a father speaking to a daughter, like a shepherd speaking to a lamb. And so it kind of carries this tenderness in Jesus' voice while he's speaking to this little girl. And so that, that, that can speak to us where sometimes, you know, you might not have grown up in a house where you had a tender voice from your parents. But it's good to know that Jesus, when he speaks to you, he speaks with a tender voice. He's not abusive. He's not oppressive. Like, he speaks with the tenderness that, he would, that a father would speak to his little daughter. 
And so that's kind of like there, that's like, that's, that's, that there's that subtlety there in the Aramaic that, that kind of would get lost. But on top of that, there's also some subtlety in the actual word itself. And so in English, when we read through the passage, you've noticed that the girl got called a child for most of the passage, like the child is dead, the child is sleeping. But then when Jesus comes, she gets called a little girl, it goes from child to girl. And that doesn't seem like a big difference in English, but in Aramaic and Greek, the difference becomes more pronounced. Where in Greek, the word they use for child literally means half-grown girl. Not just half-grown woman, like half-grown girl, like you're like, like not fully there. Like in Creole, we would say tsimun, like you're a little person, you're not a full person. Like another, another meaning of the word would be immature Christian. Like it's just this, like you're, you're just almost like a baby kind of thing. But then when Jesus, the word is actually maiden. And so she's gone from baby to maiden. Where a baby is something like, is like nobody, like you have, people have to take care of them, like they can't do anything. But a maiden, even though she's still young, she's not mature enough that she's eligible to be married. And so Jesus is seeing this girl differently than everyone else is on multiple levels. They say she's dead, he says she's asleep. They say she's a baby, he says she's a maiden. How many times do, have people said something about you, but Jesus says something different? People say, you're just a boy, but Jesus says, you're a man. People say, you're just a woman, but Jesus says, that's why I chose you. People say, you're too old, but Jesus says, I've still got time for you. Don't listen to what people say about you. Listen to what Jesus says about you. And so he's speaking to this girl in a tender voice, and he's also speaking to her in a way that no one else around her is seeing her. And so this, this, this is kind of the subtlety that Mark wanted his readers to, to be able to catch. But on top of that, there's also something else cool in this passage. I, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it, it feels like a book of codes sometimes. And so there are, sometimes if you know the codes, like you're able to unlock certain meanings in certain passages. And last time I preached, I taught you one of the codes, that the C means evil. So when you see the C in the Bible, it's often safe to assume that this passage is saying something about evil. So today I want to teach you another code. You ready? So the code is numbers mean something. So the Bible loves numbers, and a lot of the numbers have specific meanings. And so when you see a number in the Bible, it's often safe, it's often good to ask, what does this number mean, and why is it here? And so in this passage, there was a number that came up. Who caught it? Like, if you caught the number, like, shout it out. Which number was in this passage? 12. You got it. So 12. The girl is 12 years old. 12 in the Bible represent. Oh, it was up there. Okay. So 12 in the Bible symbolizes the church. There are 12 disciples. They're the first church. 12 tribes of Israel. They're the Old Testament church. And in Revelation, the church is represented by a woman with 12 crowns. Ironically, it's in the 12th chapter. That's probably a coincidence. But 12 symbolizes the church. And so some commentators argue that this passage is also talking about the church. So the woman with the issue of blood, she was bleeding for 12 years. And so she's like a picture of the Old Testament church. And the bleeding is a picture of the sacrifices. So Jesus stopping the bleeding is a picture of him stopping the sacrifices because he's the ultimate sacrifice. And this little girl is a picture of the New Testament church where Jesus is bringing it to life. Isn't that cool, right? But on top of that, 
I believe not only is this girl a picture of the New Testament church, but she can also be a picture of the church in America today. Because just like this little girl, the church in America isn't dead, we're asleep. There's a lot of things that we are asleep to because it doesn't immediately affect us. And so it's easy to just ignore it and just fall asleep to it. But I'm not here to like beat us up and like say like you're a terrible Christian because you don't think about other countries. Because at the end of the day, if we're asleep, I honestly think it's not our fault. Because religions are shaped by the cultures that they find themselves in. So Islam in America looks very different from Islam in Iraq. Voodoo in America looks very different from voodoo in Haiti. So it's no surprise that Christianity in America would look very different from Christianity in China. So if Christianity is, is a, if the church is asleep in America, it's because America is asleep. And how do we know that America is asleep? Just look at the stuff that's trending. Not my aerial. Like, people are really going, like, ham and bananas over this. Like, she's a fish. She's a mermaid. Like, people are sending death threats because Ariel is now going to be black. And, like, this is really, like, people are genuinely, like, upset about it. And not that, you know, whatever. Like, it's just, like, we will get upset about, like, things that, like, mm, other countries would be, like, you know, people are dying. Or even, like, we, in America, we love animals. And animals are cool and they're cute. But, like, we love animals more than we love people. Like, there's, there's a bear on Nye College campus now. Like, it's just walking around, this black bear that just, like, is just roaming across campus. And we were like, hey, animal control, can you come in and like tranquilize this thing and like bring it to a zoo? And they were like, we, you know, it's not really doing anything, so we can't really doing anything. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> but then at the same time, I can't blame them because like a few weeks ago in Portland, park rangers shot a bear because it was getting too close and people like were outraged. And it's like, what is wrong with you? Like this little bear? But, but I'm like, yeah, but. You aren't gonna kill a black bear, but like, let a black man walk into like somebody's campus and like, boom, all of a sudden, like everything changes. But then at the same time, like, you know, we would fight for Black Lives Matter, but then a little white boy gets shot and like, you know, nobody says anything. And it's like, whoa, like how do we pick and choose like what we're gonna be passionate about? Well, one thing that was really weird for me was seeing like when Notre Dame went up in flames, it was crazy to see how many people of color on Facebook immediately said things like, that's what they get for the child abuse. And it's like, ah, that's too soon. It's like, so black lives matter, but Catholic lives don't. And it's like, we're allowed to be asleep to certain things in America. Like, we can literally turn off notifications. We don't have to think about the persecuted church in China, so we don't. We don't think about the riots in Sudan because we don't have to. It doesn't immediately affect us. But that's one of the things that I love about city life, because here, city life is very intentional about reaching out to refugees in the community which is really good, and we should do that. And that's one of the things that I think is really awesome about this church. But unfortunately, that's an exception. Like, that's not the norm for the church in America because we can easily fall asleep to the rest of the world. But the good news is that just like with this little girl, Jesus doesn't speak to us like, and shame us. He'd be like, you're a terrible, how can you be my body, my hands and feet if you're not doing anything? Like, he speaks to us with tenderness. Like, listen, church, wake up. Like, there's more. I want you to wake up. But this passage is, is more than about just Jesus' clever use of Aramaic. And it's not just about a secret message to the church. At the end of the day, there's one thing that I think Mark wants us to know about Jesus here. So this whole passage in chapter 5, in the beginning, Jesus casts out demons, casts out legion. Then he heals this woman with, with the issue of blood. And now he raises this girl from the dead. 
Mark is showing us that Jesus has power over demons. He has power over disease. He has power over death. At the end of the day, Jesus has power. And so if he has power over demons, then he has power over your addictions. If he has power over disease, he has power over anything afflicting your marriage. If he has power over debt, then he has power, death, or he has power over student debt. Like he has power over, like, you know, loans or over like Sally Mae has nothing on Jesus. Like Jesus has power over whatever it is that's, that's plaguing you. And so Mark wants us to know that Jesus has power over anything that will come your way. But he doesn't want us to miss that Jesus literally has power to literally heal. Which brings us back to the parkour story. So before we get to the roof, um, I was doing parkour in seminary one time, and I was at Nyack College. I was working there. And if you've been to Nyack College, there was, um, there was um, there's like a lot of walls and stuff around it and like ledges and like random railings and stuff like that. And, and so it's like parkour, like heaven kind of thing. So I was doing parkour there, swinging over railings, and I didn't stretch beforehand. And so that was my first mistake. So I swung over this railing, and when I came around, I felt this like, and I'm in my groin. I'm like, ugh, that was, that was intense. And so every step I took afterwards, I felt this sharp, intense pain. And I was like, I, this does not feel normal. And so the rest of the day, it was just as bad. And then at night, it was just as bad. And normally, like, you know, normally I would ask someone to lay hands on me, but given the location of the injury, I realized that probably wouldn't be a good idea, so I had to lay hands on myself. And so at Nyack College, we teach the students a particular prayer model to pray for healing. And I call it the ABCs of healing because it's like these three steps that we see Jesus do in the Bible. And so the first step is A, ask Questions And so we would ask the person questions like, how did this happen? How long has this been like this? What have you? Because Jesus would ask questions. He'd be like, how long has the demon been here? What's your name? Do you want to be healed? Like, you know, that's a pretty important thing to ask. And so, but since it was me, I knew what happened. I didn't really have to ask myself questions. So I just moved to step B, which is bless the person. And this is where we would listen to the Holy Spirit and ask him, is there anything you want to say to this person? Because sometimes physical pain is connected to emotional pain. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak to the emotional pain and bring healing there, and then the physical healing will follow. And so he, can, he might bring the blessing there. Or sometimes he might bring conviction, where we found, weirdly enough, that back pain sometimes is linked to bitterness. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit will bring up and be like, hey, you need to forgive your father. And then when the forgiveness happens, boom, the healing flows. And so either way, like we just like, we would teach them to like make room for the Holy Spirit to speak what he wants to say to this person, like to bless them. And so I sat there and I listened to the Holy Spirit if there's something he wanted to say. And so I was blessing myself, like, you know, man, like you're a child of God, he loves you, he's proud of you. Like he enjoys watching you do parkour, even when you do stupid stuff and you get hurt. Like he, he this is your form of worship, like God still loves you, he's not disappointed in you. And so I was blessing myself in Jesus' name. And then I moved to letter C, which is call on Jesus, and where we pray specifically for God to heal the injury. And so I prayed, Jesus, like, would you please heal this, this, um, this, this, this groin injury so that I can move freely and not, not have this pain? And, and so I prayed, and as I was praying, my hand got really cold, and my groin got really cold. 
And when I was done praying, I moved my hand, and I stood up, and I walked around, and the pain was completely gone. Jesus had healed me, and I was able to, like, move, like, free of pain. And a second time, I was at a, a worship session, and worship broke out. There were... Um, the Holy Spirit came, people were dancing, running around. And I don't know about you, but me, when I'm in a worship session and the Holy Spirit comes, the first thing I want to do is flip. I know most people probably don't think that way, but like normally it's not really conducive. There's chairs, there's pews, you'll kick somebody in the face. So like I don't usually do it. But this time there was room, like it was no chairs. Like, and I'm like, yo, like this is the time. Like, this is my time. Like I need to flip. Like the Spirit is coming. And so I'm like, all right, let's do this. And so the plan was I was going to run up on stage do like, like, like a round, a round off, boom, back handspring, okay, and that, it was going to be it. Mind you, this was mid-worship, so I didn't have any time to stretch, so I was going in there cold muscles, but I was like, no, don't, don't worry about that, Holy Spirit's got me, so I jump up, so I run on stage, do the round, the round off, plop, and I felt, I felt something like crack, like all the way up here, and it was just instant agony, I was like, ah, and just like, just like limped off, like it was just, like everybody kept worshiping, like they continued, like it was, and I just like limped off and just like went into a corner, like what was that? And for like weeks, every time I walked, I not only felt the pain, but I, I heard like this little click. Like, you know, like when you're like, you need to crack your knuckles, but like it doesn't really crack and the bones are just like chafing. Like that's what it was like every time. And I'm like, oh, what is wrong with me? Now this went on for weeks. I don't recommend like going weeks without like seeking medical attention. Like that was my stupidity, but like that, that it happened. But then I was at another worship session, and, you know, worship broke out, Holy Spirit came, and I was, I was with my friend, and I was like, hey, can you, can you pray for me? You know, put your hand, not, now that, you know, it's in a different location, like, can you lay hands? And so he put his hand on my, on my leg, and he started praying for me, and his hand got really cold, which was weird because I, other healing stories I would hear, people's hands would get hot or whatever, mine's there, it's got cold for some reason, but that's a different story. So he was praying for me, hand got cold, leg got cold, and then, like, the pain went away. And I was like, yes, like, Jesus healed me. But how do I know that I'm fully healed? The only way to test it is to do a flip. And so I'm like, we got to do it. So, like, like, clear, I found a way where no one was, like, dancing or worshiping. And I stood there, like, back handspring, and it cracked again. No, I'm just joking. It didn't, it didn't crack. Like, this time, it was in no pain. Like, I landed, and it was completely fine. And I was like, Jesus healed me again. And so then that brings us to the roof. So I was running, got to the edge of the roof, I jumped, and I landed, and I was going to roll, but instead of rolling, something went off, and I just crashed into my shoulder. And it was just the pain that I felt. It felt like Satan reached up, grabbed my arm, ripped it out, went down to hell, barbecued it on a grill, and then threw it back up into my body. Like, the pain was unreal. I'm just laying there on the roof like... Like, how am I going to get down? I found out later it was like, it was like the roof of like a government building. And I'm like, this is, I'm going to get shot. Like, this is, this is not a good look. And, and, and so like, but long story short, I ended up like making it home. My mom was upset, yelled at me, put some like Haitian mayok, like yuca paste on it. And it kind of helped, but it was still like not, I had to drive with like one hand and it was just not a good look. And, but thankfully I was taking a divine healing class at that time. And so I went to class, and at the end of the lecture, the professor was like, hey, can I have a volunteer where someone can come and, like, we'll practice what we've, what we've preached today? And I was like, yeah, pick me, pick me, like, pick me. And so I went up, and they, they went through the ABCs, like, asked me questions. How did this happen? Like, why were you jumping on roofs? Um, and they, 
and they blessed me, and then they called on Jesus, like, can you, like, for the healing. And lo and behold, like, healing came again. And so all these times, like, Jesus healed me. I mean, I want to share one last story. I grew up in a church, um, and there was a woman there at the church. Like, every church has, like, that older, like, church mother, like, you know, that, like, oozes faith, like, walks around, and you ask her to pray something. Like, I was praying for you this morning. Like, wake up at 3 in the morning and pray for, like, 7 hours. Like, she was one of those women, like, she was oozing faith. And so one day she got cancer. And so little by little, she, her strength started to wane. But she believed that God would heal her. And so we would pray for her, and we were praying, and we were believing that God would heal her. And she was so convinced that God would heal her that she refused to go to the hospital. She refused to get medical attention. And eventually, she passed away. And when that happened, I was conflicted because on the one hand, I was like, why didn't she just go to the hospital? Why didn't she just go get chemotherapy? Like, that would have gotten better. But then on the one hand, I was like, but God, why didn't you heal her? Like, she clearly had more faith than all of us. Why didn't, it, why didn't it work this time? And I share that story because I don't want to act like every time I've prayed, every time I've seen someone pray for healing, God comes through. The reality is sometimes God heals and sometimes he doesn't. And we don't know why. And even in the Bible, not everyone gets healed. Jesus raises the girl from the dead here, but John the Baptist gets his head chopped off and Jesus doesn't do anything. You mean to tell me Jesus didn't have enough faith? There was sin in Jesus' life? John, then, then later on, Stephen gets stoned to death. The apostles don't do anything. They run away, and he stays dead. James gets, gets killed. He stays dead. Like, not everybody gets healed, and we don't know why. And yet, we do know this, that God is still good, and he still does heal. So he still wants us to come to him for healing. And even though we might pray several times and like see no healing come, like that doesn't mean that we should throw the baby. It's like, you know, we've, all of us have probably applied for jobs somewhere or applied to colleges. And when you apply for something, like you send out as many applications as you can, knowing that the majority of them are probably going to say no. But you trust like somebody's going to say yes. And I think God wants at least that same level of trust from us. He wants us to come to him for healing, knowing that, you know, I might not get healed this time, but trusting, well, but maybe I will. Because at the end of the day, he does have power and he does heal. And he wants, and like this woman with the issue of blood, she came to Jesus, knowing that I might not get healed, but trusting that I, I would. Jairus came to Jesus, knowing it, it might not work, but he trusted that it would. And so today, I want to give you a chance to respond to Jesus, to come to him for healing. And there's going to be people up front to pray with you. And I want to invite you, if you have any physical pain that you would like to trust Jesus with, I want to invite you to come forward and, and, and receive prayer. And if it's physical or even if it's emotional, if there's anxiety or, there's, or there's, there's fear or there's pain, and 
to come and, and trust Jesus to heal you. Because he can heal and he wants to heal and, and he wants you to trust him with it. So I'll invite the people who are coming to pray to come to the front. And if you want to come pray for healing, I invite you to come forward. So Jesus, we ask that you would, you would come. We believe that you are a God of healing and that you can heal. You have shown us in your word. You are the same God who cast out demons. You are the same God who healed the woman with the issue of blood. You are the same God who raised this girl from the dead. And if you did it before, we believe that you can do it again. So I ask that you would, you would come and fill this place with your presence and that you would bring your healing today to your children. In your name we pray.